0: Welcome to the Time Out Podcast with Tony McGettigan, because we all need a little time out from life.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Time Out Podcast with me, Tony McGettigan, and it's been over a month since my last podcast, so uh, glad to be getting uh, an episode in just before The big man in the red and white costume will be landing on rooftops across the globe. And uh, I hope wherever I find you tuned in that you're well and that your festive preparations are either complete or close to complete. So on to my guest today. He hails from uh, Burtonport and uh, was ordained as a priest in 2002 and has been a Catholic curate in Creasla since 2017. And uh, back 19 years ago, his first area to work as a priest was uh, Glen Kill and uh, from 2006 to 2012 he served in his own parish of Bortonport and uh, Kincasla. and from 2012 to 2017 he was CC in Stranorlar and Twin Towns, and from 2017 to current day he's been working in Creasla. So delighted to be featuring this man on the podcast today, uh, and it's fitting as well given the time of year. So, Father John Joe Duffy, you're very welcome to the Time Out Podcast.
0: Thank you very much, Tony, for having me on.
1: Yeah, lovely, Father, to, to feature you. We've been planning it for a while, but we're we're finally here.
0: Yeah, yeah. We eventually we eventually got there, Tony. <laughs> we
1: did, we did indeed, Father. Yeah. How, how are you?
0: I'm very well, Tony, doing very well, thank God, uh, doing good, and uh, can't complain, and uh, just uh, preparing now for Christmas Masses, I suppose, and that, and, uh, uh, and it's a very different, it's a very different year, I suppose, in that, uh, like last year, it's very difficult, uh, I suppose, in my ministry, in that we don't have the same... Um, I suppose, access to people uh, through visitation of houses and stuff like that is It's not something that we can really do at this time because we are so very conscious of keeping everyone well and looking after everyone's health. And that's a big uh, miss in my ministry, to be honest with you, and calling into schools and seeing the the Christmas um, celebrations and seeing that joy that the children have and feeling that, and, and that's very much missing for me this year. And uh, But apart from that, I'm doing very well, uh, thank God.
1: Well, that's good. Glad to hear that, Father. And uh, we definitely have to to think as well, you know, there's been so many aspects that the pandemic has affected, but as well as time of year, Father, there's a lot of people that uh, would be sort of uh, longing for your visit to to, uh, the house like that people are living on their own and the pandemic really has affected many things
0: yeah the pandemic has had such a huge uh, impact uh, particularly on people living alone i was just speaking to the postman the other day the postman who is a very vital person in our community someone who sees people that are living alone on a daily basis or five days a week and uh, he was just saying to me, you know, how very much different it has been that you go to people's houses and there's people in waving out the, uh, from the house to out the window, people that the postman would have had a conversation with in the past, and the postman might have been the only person in that given day that they might have had a face to face conversation with, and that hasn't been possible. It hasn't been possible to visit people in the same way or spend the same lengths of time with people uh, and all of that so it's it's very it's very curtailing it's it's been a very hard time for, for the elderly, it has been a very hard time for families, and it has been a particularly hard time for young people, young people uh, who like to party, who expect to party, right. uh, and who can't. So, it has affected everyone in some way or another, and then those people that have lost loved ones uh, over the last almost two years now, and haven't been able to, 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 to mourn them in the way that we traditionally did in the past. Restrictions have been lifted in that area in more recent times. But even in my own family, uh, I, I, I have had the experience of it in my extended family. And it has been very challenging and very, very difficult. But we are a resilient people and uh, we have faced such challenges in the past uh, all through history. And, and we, have, we have got on with it. But we are now living in a, 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 a period where the Internet seems to... I suppose be uh yeah. be king. There's a lot of false information that you get through the Internet. Facebook, for example, has two billion users and uh, there's no filters. Uh, when you got information in the past, you got information, I believe, more accurately uh, through newspapers where there was editorial responsibility. But um, if a few people now say something on the Internet and a few more uh, are um <laughs> It's spread out to a That's few more right. and a few more. And sometimes inform- misinformation can be very spread, very much spread as well. So, so, so it is a very challenging time because people are not only challenged by a pandemic, which I believe we can all get through as we have done so in the past uh, through different things. Our forebears have done so in much worse situations. But the whole added thing of this hype around internet and misinformation and so on. Uh, it makes it a situation much worse for many people and adds fear and uh, unnecessary fear in some situations yes. okay the internet has its good uses as well uh, for spreading accurate information but with accurate information there's a lot of inaccurate information spread as well so there's an extra challenge in That's this true.
1: i suppose what you're trying to say father is you have to be kind of careful and uh in, in terms of where you get your information from and each person i suppose that's their responsibility and it's, it's their own right as, as uh as to be sort of mindful of that you know that's what you're trying to say
0: yeah we all we all have to be careful with the information that we we, we read uh, from the internet and and uh, we all have to take personal responsibility right. but we also have to take Communal responsibility and be responsible for the community around us as well. That's right. And that is something that we need to do, and yeah. that's what a lot of people are doing. Yeah. And thank God, and a lot of people are very sensible in all of this, and uh, and uh, have uh, made huge sacrifices uh, for the betterment of the community, and particularly for those who are vulnerable. Because if the if the Christmas message is anything. Uh, the christmas message is that the lord was born into a situation where everything was turned to upside down everything was topsy-turvy as they say Uh, but yet if we are to learn anything or to take the christmas message forward it is about caring for the community as a whole and it is about caring for those who are vulnerable
1: yeah and that is uh, very critical especially throughout the year father but especially now uh, during the pandemic and the winter time, when you have a lot of long nights just, just to, to keep an eye on uh, people that might be vulnerable in the, the community
0: uh, Absolutely
1: Yeah. So Father, as I touched on in the beginning in the introduction there you're from uh, Burtonport uh, originally and uh, you've been a priest now Father uh, since 2002 can you talk to me about your, your memories of your ordination
0: uh, My memories of my ordination are uh, very interesting in that I was very sick that day and uh, I had uh, a bacterial infection, and I was at the now doc the night before. Uh, thank God to the now doc, uh, yeah. uh, they they otherwise I wouldn't have been ordained that particular day. Uh, my memories of my ordination are fantastically happy memories, and memories of the generosity of people. I was ordained in uh, the cathedral in Letterkenny, and there were. Um, and Damon McLachlan, my classmate who is now in Rome, that oh, you will yes. all remember from lecture, was ordained with yeah. me. And I always uh, and 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 Manus Ferry from Falcarragh was ordained that day. Manus is uh, was ordained for one of the Sacred Heart orders, and he he's based in Dublin. He's a parish priest in Dublin. Uh, so um, the uh, the the generosity, the outpouring of generosity of people, the coming out of people to welcome me home. Uh, the first bonfire was out at Campbell's in in Fenton and and. Uh, then the whole way in through down there were bonfires in Dookery, uh, down into Donlow. and, uh, one of my favourite memories is the late Mrs. McCullough and Miss Wonder coming out with Caramel Boner, and they had a few peak Briquettes lit behind the car, lucky the car didn't go on fire or something, <laughs> but, and then, then all the bands that were out there was bands, uh, from Ranafass, Duff right through Don low um, and, and all the different bands that were in the area at the time uh, Ross's Pipe Band etc and uh, the local bands uh, that came out uh, Crick and Moore and uh and they were banned band out from Lachan as far as I recall and and all the area, you know, and the Dunlo, the 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 Dunlo band, the We Dunlow band, and the the, the children's Dunlo band, I think it is as it's yes. called. And 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 there was just such an outpouring of generosity of people and going out, uh, uh, having my first mass, and people turning up, and it was like a whirlwind in some ways, but. Uh, i I remember somebody saying at the time that it was like uh, a week 's retreat in the area or a, a mission yes. uh because people were coming out and there was such a joy and uh, and i I was just overwhelmed by the generosity of so many people people keeping friends of mine who came for my ordination and and those are the memories just an outpouring of generosity and goodness among the people of the Rossos and beyond uh, in West Donegal which is something we are all very used to
1: Well definitely so Father Us people definitely mm. make you on an occasion mm. like that and it's something I'm sure that you uh, fondly uh, reminisce of uh, when you think back to your ordination
0: <laughs> And you know, I do, yeah, yeah. Ah. People were just so kind and so generous. Uh, I remember um, a, a lady, Noreen Doherty, who is now deceased, uh, getting Chad Galler from Dunlow to drive out to Letterkenny to buy me uh, two missiles and stuff like that, and uh, and people like that. That just there was such there was such yeah. a great generosity and going back going back to uh, pray mass for the Rosses community school uh, was very special for me and Daniel, Daniel Gallagher and Hugh Glesby and and, and people like that, uh, the principal, vice principal that were there at the time, the teachers making me so very welcome, Bernadette Brennan, who was one of my religious teachers and people like that that had played a part in my life and had an influence all along the way, you know, and. Yeah, it was it was lovely.
1: Of course, two thousand and two as well. Being the, being a sporting fanatic, I am. I have to to mention this. It's obviously the last time as well that Ireland played in the World Cup. Two thousand two. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes, so. and, and and I remember it very well because I had some German guests at uh, my ordination, and of course, the World Cup final was on the day. Of my heart and nation. Oh, Germany and uh, well. so yeah. So the Germans were very anxious yes. and night to see how, how how Germany was getting on. So yeah, very fond memories. Yeah,
1: of course the Brazilians came out on top that day. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. yeah. reminisce with the Germans that night. Yeah,
1: they, they were kind of draining their sorrows, no doubt, some, somewhere. But yeah,
0: uh, exactly. Your,
1: your first parish father then was was Glenn Cullen killed in in, in two thousand two to two thousand six. Uh, was yeah. that were yeah? Was that no doubt, Father, setting into a new chapter like that, or at the beginning of your your priesthood? Was that an an anxious time for you going into that, or how did you feel about your first parish?
0: I, I felt excited. Yeah. Uh going into my first parish, everything was new. Uh, I had spent some time as a deacon and over the summer holidays with Father Eddie uh, Gallagher, who's now lecture yeah, yeah. back in Letter again, uh, down and he was my first parish priest in Kill uh, Eddie, Father Eddie was in Carrick, but he was also the parish priest in the entire parish, and then Colum Kill was the curacy in the parish. So I had very good, um, guidance from uh, Father Eddie. No better, no better. And I remember, I remember meeting, uh, Bishop Joseph Duffy when I was a student in Manooth, and he used to come to Teelan, and I remember, he, he asked me, did I know Father Eddie, you know, because I mentioned that I, 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 I spent some time down about Carrick for my summer, so I used to go, stay with Father Eddie for about a week maybe in the summertime and uh, I said I knew him very well and I told him the story and he said listen he says if you're half as good a priest as Father Eddie you'll do very well and then he looked at me again he says no if you're quarters good a priest as Father Eddie (laughs) uh, you'll be a very good priest you'll be an excellent priest so Father Eddie and uh, the people of Glen Cullum Kill were so warming and so welcoming and it was like a home away from home and uh, I remember they, they cared for me more than I cared for them. They, they they just showed me such a care and such a welcome and oh, it, it was um, I suppose maybe it's a bit like your first love. You still have some remembrance That's of your right. first yes, love. But Glen right. Cullum Kill was certainly a, a first love for me, I have to admit, yeah. as a parish because I, I, I learned many things there and sort of, I suppose I was 27 and I grew a bit there and matured a bit there, but the people, I have still connections with the people yeah. to this very day, and uh, it was just such a happy time for me.
1: Yeah, such a special place up there too, when you consider the landscape of, of how beautiful it is up there, Father.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's mystic and it's majestic, and uh, it was uh, very interesting also going to a parish in which Father James McDyer, who was so very well known, uh, was... Uh, a great social innovator and right. and brought about many things in the parish. But uh, I have to say that um, that um, going there, I learned to become a priest very much, not from James McDyer, uh but more so from Father Eddie Gallagher. Uh, who had the blueprint well and fully oh, set yes. <laughs> there and he had been a curate in that parish and he was so very well remembered and it was interesting uh, hearing the stories of the priests who had gone before me and father McDyer was much mentioned there was also another priest that had been father fellow boyle and uh, he was the priest that was there during the great flu yes and he helped the people to know when during the great flu in that parish and he would actually buy them husky because they hadn't medicines uh, during the great flu and he would give them husky and stuff and he was out day and night helping people And it it was interesting to hear the stories uh, about Father Boyle, uh, considering that we are now in a pandemic, you That's know, true. and I often wondered what would it, what would it have been like to live uh, at such a time as Father Boyle, but unfortunately, uh, I, it's something I should not have wondered because now we we are beginning to know it a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's true. We're, we're amongst it at the minute, father. And yeah, yeah. Of course, then two thousand six to two thousand twelve, father. You moved on. Like you, you came closer to home. Uh, in Kincasla and Burtonport. Uh, yeah,
0: there. yeah, I went to Ardmore.
1: Yeah, you were there from uh, two thousand six to two thousand twelve. And uh, what's your um, recollection of that? No doubt that was must have been special for you too, coming closer to home.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was very special coming to Ardmore Island. Uh, where I had many fond memories of growing up. Uh, my earliest memory is going uh, not on a boat with my father, but going out uh, with my mother on a boat, and the skipper was Phil Ban, Phil Boyle, and and Letter. He's now living in Letterkenny, and going across with uh, to a regatta. My father and them were, were already over in Ardmore, so that's my earliest, one of my earliest memories in life, and going to Ardmore. Uh, was very special because I was going among people that I knew and going among people that knew me and knew my father. And again, Father Pat Ward was a parish priest. And again, he couldn't have been more helpful or more supportive to me. Yes. And I could sit in the sitting room in the house and learn more and look across. Uh, not all. Not that you could get across every day. But uh, I could see my own home from there. And the people are very special uh, on Ironmoor. And uh, they have been people that have had to make huge sacrifices, leaving their families and going away to work in other places in order uh, to etch out a living. And yet I was on Moor where I could see the possibility that people could make a very uh, good living from the sea. But unfortunately... Uh, we're not allowed to fish, and the box area 4A was closed that time. It's one of the boxes in the sea area, covering from South Donegal way up to the west coast of Scotland, and the local boats couldn't fish in that area. And I remember uh, talking with Patrick Gallagher at the time, uh, who was singularly instrumental in uh, pushing for that area uh, to be reopened, and he put in a great effort. And I was out in Europe a few times from Arnmore and in brussels and it was great to get that area uh opened again and uh it was the first time that uh the european parliament brought in a vote uh to get the commission and the council of ministers uh, to open up an area so uh Pat Cope, i have to say put a huge effort into that uh, and um it was sad to see that people had to leave their homes, and yet they could etch a fine living from the sea if they only had a little bit of uh, support from the government and a little bit of imagination from the government uh, to support them, or rather than having to leave their families and go to go to work here, there, and everywhere. Some were working in Alaska, some were working in America, other parts of England, Scotland, and all over the world. Yeah, it's But they're very resilient. They're very resilient people, and. Uh, they They showed me great care, and they had a great relationship with my father down through the years as well the people on iron and moor uh, and that uh, that bore fruit for me
1: yes and, and, uh, well definitely so father and when you consider like fish like you, you mentioned fish there and a fisherman father and your your, uh, your late dad may rest in peace uh, was a, was a fisherman, and you know your life i suppose from a very early age father you were you were seeing this this type of life you're seeing your father. Uh, heading off to, to, to fish and I suppose there's always a great concern at that in them early years father of, of memories in terms of re- recalling that
0: uh, yeah, fishing, fishing is a tough way of life because sometimes the fishing is good uh, sometimes the fishing is bad we are all too aware of there having been many disasters and people drowned from Burton Port and, and, and other coastal areas and um, there is a huge risk in going to sea um, and uh, thankfully that risk is uh, lesser today with better boats uh, and and better uh, facilities and so on, and better communication as well, telecommunications and stuff. Uh, but um, the, um, the reality of it is that once people went to sea, there was always that worry that they might not come back. So there was a sort of a sense of nervousness, I believe, within the families of people who were fishing or uh, and, uh, maybe not nervousness, anxiety or whatever word you may use. There, there was a heightened awareness, uh, put it like that, that yes. once somebody went to sea, it wasn't always necessarily so that they, they would come back. Uh, and uh, that was very much part of the psyche and very much uh, a part of the culture. But yet people loved to see. people loved going to sea, and it was what they knew. And, And um, uh, my happiest place is on the sea or beside the sea, Uh, away from it. I I feel cut off and they make great sacrifices. And I suppose I was very annoyed in the last uh, year, just over a year ago, last year, uh, when um, there were the small boats around our coast that had Northern Ireland licenses, something which they were encouraged to do by the, the government previously. There was an instrument brought in by the minister to say that they could no longer land in their home ports, but they had to hog the coastline around the Kelly Begs or so on uh, so that their fish would be weighed. And most of this was non quota uh, fish. And it was putting the fishermen's lives at great risk. And that is still true. And I'm very annoyed at, uh, at uh, those in government uh, who have decided that because what they should be doing is trying to make life easier for fishermen. Rather than to try and trying to persecute them and make life more difficult for them. And um, uh, that 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 has sadly been the case over over the last years. So I hope common sense will eventually prevail and that those in government and those in what I would describe as a dysfunctional department of the marine will do something to help fishermen rather than to persecute them
1: well i think that's of, of critical importance that that actually happens father and i saw like recently months back father i saw yourself uh, passionately speaking on i think it was a facebook video father about the the short hand and the lack of support that actual fishermen get uh, in and uh, like donegal and surrounding counties and you know, uh, I, I was actually full of admiration for you uh, when you were making this passionate speech because uh, I don't think there's enough of it, Father, myself, in terms of straight talking about. Because w- when you consider the lack of support that fishermen get, it really can't be. It, it can't really go on. Something has to change somewhere.
0: Well, well, what's what's happened in the fishermen in in, in, in recent times is that support seems to have uh, to be gone. Um, there is. Um, There's just a a total persecution of Irish fishermen. Uh, When Irish fishermen land their catches, uh, they are now being made to weigh them in an unworkable way. Whereas I was standing on the pier in Kelly Beggs recently uh, and you see French, you see Spanish trawlers, you see trawlers from other nations coming in. They land their fish onto the back of the laureates, taken out and taken to the motherland. And there's absolutely no checks on it. And we have lost so much quota. The Brexit negotiations last year uh, for Ireland were a disaster. I think overall the 11 coastal countries of Europe lost in around 160 million per year in quota uh, with the Brexit uh, deal. And That's Ireland huge. lost. Ireland lost out of that 160 million. Ireland has lost about 45, 46 million. So we have paid Uh, a huge price Uh, at the loss we should have had at most was in and around 10 to 15 million but again due to poor negotiations due to a poor department of marine uh, who have done nothing uh, to help irish fishermen but rather to persecute them all the way through this i i think the department of marine is no longer fit for function and and i see the same happening like the same uh, to a lesser degree is beginning uh, to happen with farmers we saw recently an mep writing to banks a green mep writing the banks saying not to give loans uh, to to young farmers who were hoping to extend uh, their stock and we're talking now about culling 3.4 million irish capital and increasing the Brazilian herd by 26 million so that we in Ireland will be taking cattle, uh, taking beef from Brazil uh, uh, to Ireland uh, because we will have culled our own stock. We see some things seem to be bizarre. We see really? we see the cu- people trying to stop the cutting off turf and yet we're taking in peat from Latvia or Lithuania or wherever out in Eastern Europe uh, to Ireland. And at the end of the day, what's going to happen with fishing uh, is that we are going to have to import fish from other countries uh, because we're lo- losing our fish. And in Irish waters, uh, Irish fish... Uh, is fished by 84% of Irish fish is caught by foreign vessels or eight, and, 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 and about 16% caught by Irish vessels. So crazy. The whole thing doesn't make sense.
1: No, that that's not sustainable at all, Father. And
0: you Well, know, it's wrong and it's unjust and it it's unfair to our country where our national resources are being plundered. It's
1: crazy that, to think that, you know, after all the fish that we have uh, at our disposal here, just off the coast and, and, and surrounding areas, that we're talking about uh, importing fish.
0: Yeah, and we'll be important beef too and we have the yeah. best beef in the world yeah. we're important peat and we have the finest you know it doesn't make sense
1: and what, you know father just out of curiosity when you look at what obviously what uh, the UK have done with Brexit like wh- what do you foresee th- happening potentially there in the sense of do you think it would benefit Ireland to, to, to a united Ireland to, in any sense for, for fishermen and lake, the, the Lakes in terms of years to come
0: what, what the um the, as in the um as in Brexit an yeah, uh, Irish an a uh, Brexit or whatever the, they call yeah. it. But what I see what I see happening is I see more. Uh, what happened in Britain was uh, rules and regulations from the European Union caused a lot of annoyance towards the European Union, and 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 that was that that was uh, one of the big reasons the driving forces in in Brexit uh, a lot of red tape, but. We we A lot of the red tape that is occurring in this country, there's a certain amount of it European red tape, but a lot of it is Irish self-made red tape, red tape from within Irish departments uh, that isn't necessarily being imposed on us. Some of it is imposed on us by Europe. Uh, uh, some other of it is not being imposed See. on us by Europe, so we need a lot of fresh thinking, particularly in the department of the marine. We need a new department of the marine. The officials that are there have been there for too long, and there needs to be a renewal. There be a really, there needs to be a change of officials. The permanent government is a huge problem as well. You yeah. know, uh, the senior officials, uh, some of them have been there too long. I believe.
1: Yeah, and I, I suppose too, Father, like what you're, what brilliant really truly, a uh, United Ireland from what I'm gathering from what you're saying there, really and truly, that's not going to solve the, the fishing problem if it did happen in United Ireland.
0: The Fishing, like everything else, is, is that uh, there's a certain amount of it European yeah. imposed. There's a certain amount of it poor management uh, within the Irish structure. Yes. And I think I think we need to start looking at uh, the confines in which we are in and work within those confines to make things better for people.
1: It's It's definitely an unfair... When you when you like when you talk about them figures, 84%, you know, in terms of what uh, the outsiders coming into Ireland are, are getting, that that's, to yeah. me is totally unfair. I don't see how anyone can make uh, an it's totally argument.
0: Totally wrong, yeah. totally wrong and unjust. It's totally wrong, but... Uh, no more than it would be to cull 3.4 million cattle in Ireland and increase the uh, amount of cattle by 26 million in Brazil and then having to start to import beef from yeah. from brazil and farmers are struggling uh, as well the fishermen and farmers the price of fuel the price of buying anything even the price of posts to fence uh, you want is the increase has been huge so they need to put more and more supports in place uh, for people in rural communities and it's a bigger question than just farming and fishing it's a question of sustaining rural communities and how we best do that sometimes you hear them talking about development in rural communities and yet you see them closing service after service within rural communities. We see the situation with banks, with post offices uh, uh, and so on. And, um, and, and, and that's a big problem within rural communities. And you see how difficult it is now going forward to get planning for housing within rural communities, native families even, to be able to build their own houses. And there's a lot of, um, there, there needs to be, Uh, a more dedicated response to how we can sustain our rural communities. But I don't think there's a desire at the heart of government to sustain rural communities. I think for years, the desire is to bring everyone into the bigger towns and just create cities and have very few people left in, in, in the rural areas. And, uh, that that's a big problem. Yeah, well,
1: it definitely is a problem. And when I when I listen to poor the likes, broadband yeah, and so on. When I listen to the likes of uh, Eamon Rain, you know, talking, I don't uh, want about you know uh, car sharing in a town and you know people using bicycles. I'm actually thinking to myself, I'd, I'd love from to actually live in a rural place for a while to, to, to actually uh, see these uh, things he's trying to implement. Or uh, they are kind of a lot of them aren't uh, remotely uh, like I can't see any practicality behind it.
0: Well, I think the, these the, these things can be implemented in a more urban setting. Yes, and I think maybe that is the thinking behind it—to uh, close down rural Ireland and to have this more urban setting. And I I I said before that there is so much development happening on the east coast of Ireland uh, that uh, it's likely that Dublin and the east coast will topple into the Irish Sea and. Uh, you see it even with the, the, the whole thing of the MICA, how the pirate scheme, they were given 100% in the pirate scheme and there was a certain agency set up uh, to look after the rebuilding of pirate houses uh, that were particularly affected in Dublin and, and the Leinster area and uh, or, uh, they, were pati- they, they were affected and you know, it was particular to Dublin and Leinster at the time. And then you see the very different uh, mechanism that's been used for, for the micro homes. And there's just, there seems to be a total unfairness in that, in that you treat one part of Ireland one way and you treat another part of Ireland a, a totally, right. uh, a, 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 a different that's way and a, a much more unfair, unjust way. And, and the same is true with development going forward. The, the east coast of Ireland is about to topple into the Irish the, Sea. The, the west coast certainly won't, uh, further want of any type of uh, uh, development going forward.
1: Yeah, there needs to be more equal treatment, though. I definitely hear your point there. <laughs> mm-hmm. when, when you're coming to them things, uh, when you're talking about the, those uh, important matters. Uh, And, Mm -hmm. uh, Father, just, uh, again, to to carry on from where we left off, I suppose just to talk about from 2012 to 2017, uh, you you worked as a a CC in Strenorler and the Twin Towns. Uh, What's your your memory of that, Father?
0: Yeah, very good memories of the Twin Towns, again. Uh, Very nice people Um, and people who showed me great care and a great parish priest there, Father Kieran McAteer, and he had a great team uh, set up around them, Stern Orler, I would say, is probably very interesting in that there was a parish council set up there. There were many committees set up there uh, by Father Kieran McIntyre down, uh, down the years. And um, I suppose that is the way we will be going forward as a church with uh, parish uh, councils and uh, various committees uh, where we will have less priests in parishes uh, that people will be, that people will take more ownership of making the day-to-day decisions and running the churches uh, in their own area. And, and that was already very well set up uh, in Orler And uh, I, I, I have many uh, happy moments uh, from Orler. It was a much busier area, uh, as you can imagine, a bigger population. Uh, but uh, yeah, very happy moments, very yeah. happy times there.
1: Lovely part of the world too, indeed.
0: It know, is, yeah. yeah. It's a kind of a part of the world I didn't know, and I didn't know that East Donegal area, so it was very interesting there that I got to know uh, East Donegal more, and I got to know uh, into Tyrone a lot more as well, from Ahiarn, Castlederic, right through to Strabane, and it was interesting meeting people in those areas and meeting people uh, who had been affected very much by the Troubles and, yes. and and the pain of the Troubles. And I'm 47 now, and I don't remember the Troubles. I remember the Troubles to a good degree, but I I, I was much separated from them, I suppose, in, in West Donegal or further away from the Troubles, I should say, in yes. West Donegal. I, I didn't have the experience of what people uh, along the uh, border areas at the time experienced and it was interesting for me to hear that and to hear the suffering of people and and um, uh, please god that the peace process will continue yes, and 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 being strengthened because when you went there and visited people and and heard the suffering the pain the loss of life the meaning of life uh, on all sides uh, uh, it was um, it was something that I had no great experience of, to be honest. Yeah,
1: an education in itself, father. Well.
0: It was a huge education yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah, and like I went into the primary school in uh, Stranorlar on my first day first days there and there was a bigger population in one of the primary schools than there was on Ironmore Island wow. uh, so it kind of put it into context yes. for me there was about 450 60 people on the island and there was 497 pupils in the school big difference and so it was a huge yeah. difference yeah
1: and uh, then we move on of obviously to your, your current uh, parish father which you're in s- since 2017 uh and uh, another uh, lovely part of, of Donegal, and uh, no doubt you're you're kept busy, Father, there as well.
0: Yeah, Creese is a great area. Again, Father Martin Duhans, my parish priest here who gives me great help, and there's a retired man here, Father Seamus Murphy, and uh, the uh, Arts Friary is here, and Arts yes. Friary, I recommend highly to anyone. If you want peace, I'll go to Arts Friary, and there's an amazing amount of people I meet from the Rosses, uh, coming to visit Arch Friary, it's, it's just an oasis of, of peace and it's, it's a lovely area. But no matter where I go, uh, when I say I'm in Chrysler, no matter where I would be speaking to people from the country, in different parts of the country, they will say one thing back to me Cutting the Corn in Chrysler, of course, which was written by Percy French but made very famous by, by Brady Gallagher. Ah, the great Brady Gallagher, yeah. Gallagher, who I didn't know. She's dead she 10 years this January. Uh, it's the 10th anniversary of her death. And, uh, she, she, she was, she was very famous. Uh, but, uh, we had an uh, celebration for somebody in Chrysler, uh, Father Murphy, when he was, uh, 50 years ordained. And I said, somebody sing Cutting the Corn in Chrysler. But we had to rely on a good Leitrim woman who's living in Dunpanay <laughs> Pat Desmond, uh, to, to sing Cutting the Corn in Chrysler. So I haven't let them down with that one. But we have wonderful people here in Chrysler and there's one man i just going to mention there's a man here ben mcfadden and ben mcfadden uh, has been ill himself and i ask you to keep him in your prayers yes. and uh, ben mcfadden is a trojan worker uh, he is a, he he has been sick quite sick and all during christmas he was or before christmas he has been out lying under the rain putting up lights in the town uh, putting up lights at the church and nothing was too much for him another person could have sat down stayed at home and nobody would have blamed him but he has been out here uh, working uh, like uh, a a warrior a a real Trojan and uh, also here in Creasla we have been able to together with the the people in Letcher have done the same that's and right. in the Dunlow yeah. area, people in Bartonport, we have sent a huge amount of goods and money up to, to Father Kevin, Father Eddie, spearheading it down in and ourselves taking care of it here in Creaseless. So I think between the two of us, something like maybe 14,000 or something a great, that will uh, be going up.
1: Not great work, I have
0: seven, and I know Father Eddie is equally as much. And it's uh, a great tribute to the people of the Rosses and... And and this area here in Creaslet on Dunfanaghy, and so on and that's, beyond.
1: It's a great to see that you know any time of year, but at Christmas too, when it's a time I suppose for giving, it, it's it's fantastic to see that. Father, the people. Yeah, there's
0: joy. It. There's joy in giving, and the people, the people of these areas of Donegal, uh, are, are not shy to the joy of giving. No. And I saw, even with the St. Vincent de Paul collection, the amount of giving to that as well Yeah. Uh, here locally. And, and people are so good. The yeah, generosity well, of be, people. Yeah. yeah.
1: Definitely, That's definitely something that hasn't waned, Father. and um,
0: mm, Absolutely not.
1: Yeah. In the pre-interview, Father, when I sort of, uh, last week, when I, when I called you just to go over a few things, um, one thing that um, caught me interest when I was talking to you was uh, when you were growing up, um, you had the idea, the first thought of being a priest from a very early age, six, seven years of age, and it was actually an American priest that uh, you had uh, come across that um, sort of uh, helped that further.
0: Yeah, I think there were a number of people along the way. Ever since I was a young child, I wanted to do Mass uh, up on the altar, and Father Dan McDyer was the first priest I remember. He was in Burtonport. And then I was influenced by other priests and people along the way. Uh, One of them, uh, when I was in um, towards the end of primary school, was an American priest, Monsignor Raymond Boyle. And he came home and he said, I think that boy would make a good priest to someone. And then he wrote me a letter and he encouraged me and he asked me. Uh, to pray three Hail Marys to Our Lady every day, asking her to guide me uh, to what her son wanted me to do in life. But there were many others who influenced me over the years, many other priests and uh, uh, none more so than Father Eddie himself, because I had an aunt who was ill in Dukery with MS. And Father Eddie used to go in and even make the tea for her, and he was so kind to her and so good to her. And many other priests who who influenced me with their kindness uh, and and their holiness. And I remember Eugene McDermott and uh, and people like that, and uh, my own priests at home and uh, in the area. And and I remember Father Seamus Gallagher being ordained, right, and Father James Pat James. Ward, Father Pat Ward being ordained, and. And, and, and I, I was just kind of fascinated by all of that as well, uh, knowing at the back of my head that I wanted to become a priest. And those were great moments. The ordination to Father Seamus and, and, uh, I was very young and, uh, Father Pat Ward and Father James Gillespie, of course, just the year before yes. I went to Malouf, And, um, and, and all of those. But that, that, and, and people influenced me. The goodness and kindness of people. And just watching people praying in the church. I remember a granddad of my own. Mary Kate O'Donnell she used to do the Stations of the Cross. And I used to be watching her and the others then. And uh, I used to, um, I used to go, I used to like go to the first mass and I used to get a lift with the late Mary Campbell, as we called her, Mary Welch and Barton Port. And and people like that, that, uh, that um, had a great influence yes. on me. A lot of people. And um, a lot of people yeah. and people who were good. I remember the likes of the, late Manus McCall, who was a hackney driver and has goodness to people. And that goodness of people also made a a, a huge influence in, on me yeah. in my life, to be honest with you. A
1: lot of uh, positive people that had a
0: good... Uh, That's uh, what yeah, I believe. I believe impact. a vocation has grown within a community. Yeah. And uh, mine certainly was by the, the positiveness and the goodness of people. And it wasn't all just people who were Roman Catholic. I also had positive influences from people who were from other Christian denominations. I remember a lady who was a, a, a lady from the Church of England, and she used to holiday in our area on one of the islands. And I remember speaking to her one time about religion, and she says, uh, do you realize that Jesus Christ suffered and died for you? And I remember that having made a huge impact on me uh, in my yes. in my life. Well, you I mean, know. Yeah,
1: it would especially, you know, and uh, that's what it is really um, and truly, when, when, the, when the word of and God is preached, that's what it boils down to.
0: Yeah, and people influencing you. I remember Presbyterian moderator, or former moderator of the Presbyterian church, John Thompson, and his wife, Ingrid Allen, and they really encouraged me. And here you had this encouragement coming from two people who were very involved in their own church, Presbyte- you know, one a minister yes. and the other the daughter of a minister and an elder within her church. And people like that really, people influenced me. And it was the prayers of the people that sustained me and still sustain me to this day.
1: Yeah, well, definitely there's big faith in prayer, Father. Uh, yeah. Uh, definitely a lot of, uh, it gets a lot of people by as well, you know, the faith in Absolutely. In um, yeah. You know, you touched on the the late Father Seamus Gallagher there, Father. You know, uh, when I interviewed Father Pat Ward last year, you know, uh, Father Pat, uh, touched on his uh, special friendship that he had with Father Seamus. I mm-hmm. suppose, uh, you, did, did you get much time to to encounter Father Seamus yourself? And, and uh, have you any kind of particular story about about him?
0: Uh, I, I remember him very well. Uh, I hadn't, Father Pat and Father Seamus were in Peru together, and That's right. they, were, they were they were off the same vintage, I suppose. But uh, Father Seamus was very good. My last meeting with Father Seamus uh, was actually in Dunlow, in, in, in the Butter Rock in Dunlow. Yes, and I I was going into the Butter Rock and and uh, Father Seamus, uh, Father Seamus, I think uh, David Alkern was there that day, uh, had the Cope, uh, and the four, five, four or five of us sat down together at the table, and uh, he was going off that day to buy a hybrid, as a hybrid bike or an yes. electric bike? And uh, he and I both would have needed uh, another kind of bike, as I said to him on the day. But he was saying to me, oh, sure, when I get the bike, you'll try it out. And <laughs> the type of thing about him was, um, if you walked into Father Seamus and you said you wanted to take half the house with you, I'll well, take that with you. Or if you said you yeah, something like something, take that with you. Big heart, he was he, he had such a uh, yeah such a generous heart and yes. he, he had he had this photograph of borton port and it was borton port from olden times and he got it in dublin Somehow he managed to get it in dublin uh, somebody was thrown it out. it was been thrown out of some government department i think and <laughs> father Seamus managed managed to rescue it and i saw it sitting on the back of his car one day i was visiting him in france and I said to him, God, I said, that's a great photograph. Ah, He says, I have that promise for Pat, Father Pat. Yes, And uh, he says, I told him, I was given it to him. I says, actually, you can't give that to an Iron man. That belongs to a Burton Portman. <laughs> and I says, I want that. So yes. I took, I took the, I, I got him to give me the picture. Because he couldn't refuse me, even though he had promised to Father Pat. So you, do you think that- I rang, I took it, and uh, he gave it to me. And I rang Father Pat that evening, and I said, "You know that picture? That was for you. I have it now." <laughs> Father Seamus couldn't refuse it to me, and I took it just for the the sheer fun of it more than anything but i think i'll hold on to father pat told me a good hold on to it anyway dumb, and I'll, I'll, I'll treasure it there is a, a moment that was nice that man. was the type of person he was he was just full Great character. of generosity and full of fun and he attracted people to god that the rest of us might not be able to with his personality that's
1: right and uh, i actually mm. recall him in and led in, uh, to as well my own um, home place you know and I remember, you know, he was, uh, he was always uh, what I would call a great character and an, an interesting priest as well, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he had a good heart. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: Yeah, so. I remember somebody tell me, I remember somebody tell me, somebody that I know very well, they saw a man one evening, he was drunk or whatever years ago. Father Seamus was only a young priest and the man had fallen on the street and done low. And, uh, the cars were going up and down, Next along comes Father Seamus, he stops, he gets out of his car, goes over, lifts the man up and helps him. And that was Father Seamus. Father Seamus lifted people up that were in difficult situations yeah, and sir, helped he did. them.
1: Yeah, he did.
0: And may God rest. Yeah, so,
1: definitely sold me rest in peace and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so definitely sore, badly missed, sorely missed by, by, by yeah. many people. Father, talk to me about the, the prefab building that blew down when you were at school.
0: Yeah, we were in KJU school and William McCall recently retired and I wish sure all the very best was our teacher. And yes. we were in we were in this prefab building at school and um, the prefab came and it wasn't really probably the best of a prefab. But uh, Charlie Ward, God rest him, and Tony Boyle in KJU advised Noel McCall, the principal, uh, to put a barrier across the roof of it because they didn't like it and uh he, he 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 they did that and the officials came from the department and uh, told now to bring the barrier down but now refused to do so which meant that he could have gotten a little bit of trouble for going against the wishes of the department was it the office of public works or whatever at the time was looking after it and um, next thing uh there came a storm uh i think it was in march uh 84 and um one side of the prefab blew in and the other blew out. And there were six or seven trapped there. I was on the side that blew out. We were second class, third class and fourth class. And um, they, they all I can ever remember is the shattering, uh, that shattering of glass. It was terrible. All you could hear was shattering of glass and glass flying everywhere. And um, there were some parents or others arriving and they helped now to get the children who were trapped out before the roof collapsed. But I remember now often talking about it. He was looking out the window. When he looked out the window here was the two teachers and under it uh, trying to rescue books, Maya Rogers, who later became principal of KG and Maya. Uh, McCall, who was later principal, recently retired, as I say. yeah uh, They were out trying to rescue books, uh, causing great danger to their own life. But now shouted on them to get out of it. You know, and all the children were safe in the school at that time. That's right. But if it hadn't been for putting the barrier across uh, against the specifications of the department, uh, many of the children would have been killed that day. Yes. Uh, of that, I have no doubt, because the roof was very heavy. But do you know what was the interesting? thing is that even to this day, some people, you know, there's can can have nightmares about it, you know. Well, but yeah, not not, not one not one person put in a claim of any kind of thing for damages or injuries against the department. That was 1984, yeah. and it shows you that we were in a different time. But again, it shows you that dedication of teachers. Right. I was trying to rescue the books yes. after they had brought the children to safety. Put their life in danger. And, and, and that, is, yeah. that is true of teachers to this very day, to see the see the dedication of, of, of teachers and how very dedicated yeah. they are. Well, we've seen that, you know.
1: Father, during the, the whole uh, COVID pandemic. I think that the likes of myself, I'm speaking, I know, as a, as a parent, that I think there's a whole lot more value now that people, not that we wouldn't have had value before, mm. but I suppose when we were homeschooling children, you know, we see the, the, the exact role that a teacher has, and uh, it's a critical ah, importance. Yeah.
0: Teachers, to me, have the most important vocation of all vocations. They do it's early years. Uh, because they spend more time with your child than anyone else ever will. That's true. Uh, they spend more time with the child. they, they, they really. They really help uh, children and uh, the vast majority of our teachers are so very dedicated in Donegal. I have never come across uh, every teacher i've come across and I, I used to go around visiting the schools the amount of dedication and staying after school yeah, and I, I remember even in our own school in download the teachers doing extra stuff with us and helping us extracurricular stuff and i remember in second school in download doing an essay one time and the help i got from hugh glesby and evelyn donahue there and uh, evelyn sweeney and uh, then i remember tina Cochlin uh, who is in Dunlow Secondary School putting on musicals and staying behind uh, to work with the children or, or with us late into the evening and night time? And then uh, so many others as well, you know, that, that don't just teach but give that That's right. very much extra, A you know, touch, and you know. that personal yeah. touch. And, and, and you see that, you know, even from uh, former principals, and I, I had three former principals, uh, one of them is now deceased. And uh, Marjorie Boner and, and, and McCollum and, and people like that and, and, uh, but Daniel Gallagher there in Dunlow and Daniel would always, you know, even all through, through Manuth have that interest in you and, and encouraging you and helping you, you know, and, and, and and they 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 have played a, a huge role in our lives. Our teachers, you they know, They
1: de- definitely do, and do, you know, mm. they, they definitely deserve, you know, all all the credit that's going for. And
0: particularly today, schools are such like in the past. Uh, some 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 maybe didn't enjoy going to school for various reasons, but uh, today to see the joy in children wanting right. to go to school that's, and that's the love true. they have for their teachers and 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 it's so lovely to see. It is
1: definitely a big change. So. Father, just be, you touched on it briefly there when we were talking about St. Um, but obviously at the minute it's a talking point at the minute about the actual shortage of priests and the, the shortage of uh, people going on for for priests, Father. It, it makes you wonder what the, what the future would be for the priesthood.
0: Yeah, uh, when I went to Malooth in nineteen ninety five, there was a hundred and seventy eight students for the priesthood in Maloof. Today there are twenty five. Yes. And, uh, when I went, our class, uh, Manuth was set up in 200 years, and our class was 28, and we were the smallest class in 200 years at 28, and today there is only 25 in the entire seminary, wow. and other seminaries have closed down, St. John's, Waterford, Wexford, there's there's two, there was one in Waterford, one in Wexford, Yes. Carlo, Carlo's gone, um, I can, there, there was one down the uh, south, uh, the, uh, down in Cashel uh, diocese, and uh, it's gone. Uh, the wing uh, that was in Belfast is gone. Uh, Clonliffe College is closed, and they were all operating seminaries in my time, so they probably were. In 95, there were probably between two to three hundred, almost closer to three hundred students. Yes. Uh, and today, 25. So it goes to show you that, yes, at this moment in time, there will be certainly fewer priests available in the parishes going forward. And that will, that will leave big questions about uh, how parishes will manage. Um, we in the diocese of whole here in Donegal, have had a huge number of churches in our diocese and we have always been very blessed uh, to have a large number of priests and we we certainly aren't in the shortage facing a shortage of priests in this present moment but give it 10 15 20 years down the road uh, we certainly are going to be yeah. uh, much less uh, than we are at the it's present down, uh, yeah. through sickness through retirement and so on and um, that that like if you look at it, we lost a number of priests that were young men, Father Paul Gallagher, Father Seamus Gallagher, Father That's Pat right. Prendergast, uh, uh, to name but three. And um, you know, it wasn't p- people that were over a certain age; they were they were young men. That's right. And uh, Paul Gallagher being the youngest of them, and so, uh, and uh, you know, so that the reality going forward is that. I would imagine that parishes will either work together, or there'll be some process of working together or coming together, and uh, there there will be less priests. Um, yeah. You know, I was talking to a priest recently, uh, and he in the Derry Diocese he is looking after seven churches. Wow. In the Derry yeah. Diocese, and that's not sustainable because you can't stuff. you can't look after seven churches by yourself. It's okay. He is two men who are retired with him at the moment, but um, you know it's, it's impossible to give a full, a full service of masses in, in seven churches. And then when you cut a mass in a particular church, that's always very, very difficult. And uh, but the reality of it is, we have to try and ensure that priests will also remain uh, well. You know, providing. Uh, for a bigger community and and you can only do so much and do your best. It'll be a a changing time, but God has his own ways of working and we pray for vocations.
1: Yeah, we definitely do, Father. And uh, just before we're coming close, Father, to the end of the interview, um, we talked about um, some of your favourite carols and uh, one that cropped up the most was uh, Silent Night.
0: Yes, yeah, Silent Night is my favourite, carol of all times, because it was born out of a crisis. Father Joseph Moore, uh, who was the child of a single mother at the time, his father being a soldier who abandoned the mother before birth, was born in the late 1700s in Austria. And he was in a little parish of Obendorf in the Austrian Alps. Uh, as a priest uh, when he realized that the organ was not working on the christmas early on the christmas eve and uh, he had a poem that he had written uh, from the year before having been out on a christmas eve crossing over the alps on the snow and the beauty of the austrian alps so he went to a friend of his who was a teacher franz gruber to put music uh, to this uh, poem that he had written called silent night and, uh, he, um, it, it became famous when a, a theatre group were moving through that village and brought it to other places. And Silent Night went on to become a very famous Christmas carol. Right. And it was one of great hope. And in the 1914-18 war, on the first Christmas Eve, the soldiers on either side started singing Silent Night. And there was a cease. There were several ceasefires among along the western front on that first Christmas Eve night of the First World War, and uh, and um, born the, it was born out of a crisis uh, where he had no organ. It was something that brought about peace in a terrible war and uh, the officer said that they wouldn't allow it to happen again sadly yes but yet it touches us that night the simplicity of that night and i think we have to realize that the holy family were a family in crisis they were without room uh they were homeless on that night, like many homeless people today, and many people who are struggling. And uh, the um, the humility of that night, and maybe we have to go back to basics, and back to humility, and take what we learn from that night, uh, that night of peace, and try and give that peace and try and give that joy uh, to others, and uh, not just for Christmas but to make Christmas every day, uh, the true meaning of Christmas every day, uh, to help others, to be compassionate, to be kind, uh, to be forgiven, and to uh, help one another in any way we can.
1: Yeah, well that's, that's definitely a very important message, Father, and uh, you just answered my next question, which was the meaning of Christmas, but I think that that sums it up yeah. perfectly, Father. And I
0: think the late Eugene McDermott, who wrote a book, Gleams from a Stable, uh, said that the meaning of Christmas was to spread joy and to spread hope, and that is an onus on each of us. That, uh, There's an onus yeah. on each of us to do that. It certainly
1: has, Father. Every day. Yeah, yeah true, not just Christmas. It's a... That's yeah. 12 months. And um, I suppose, Father, we'll we'd, we'd round off the, the podcast by maybe, if it's possible, maybe for a couple of prayers, if it's, yeah. if it's possible, Father. And uh, I suppose the, the the first one, which we'll uh, mention here, is both for uh, COVID-19, Father. And uh, to, to basically, we'll say a prayer for, for all those that are, are mentally suffering, uh, Father, and uh, at the at current time we're in, and people that have maybe lost family members to COVID-19. <laughs>
0: Well, my heart goes out to all who are who are suffering uh, illness at this time, uh, both physical yes. uh, and mental illness, and people whose whose jobs are at risk and businesses are at risk and people who cannot get into hospital. So we ask God to bless them all and to give them hope and to give them healing.
1: Definitely very poignant at this time of year, Father, and we definitely uh, mm-hmm. would uh, hope for that you know because uh, there are so many people uh you know that might put on a brave face but behind yeah. it all
0: the and the god in- the god will protect all who are living alone and give them give them um the help of others and if anything should happen them that he may send messengers of love yes. uh, who are who is the postman who is your neighbor and everyone else the district or the public health nurse and others in your community yes. and could we finish up with this prayer i think that's a very nice yes. prayer it's the one attributed to St. Francis, and it goes like this. Uh, we can pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And I will uh, pray for you, Tony, and your family, and pray for all the people as I often do uh, who have helped me on my journey a thing I like doing when I'm driving along the roads uh, when I have time is in my own native area and that's around all the Rosses really is to think of people who have gone and to pray for the people uh, who are still alive, it's something I do very often and uh, I I, I remember them those who are gone to the heavenly Bethlehem uh, who are hearing the choirs of angels in reality and those of us uh, who are here below so may god bless yes. each and every one okay. of us and all who have been good and kind uh, to each other and all who have been kind to myself and those who find it difficult to be kind we pray that kindness and generosity will be born in their hearts
1: yeah that's lovely father and That's uh, certainly
0: a lovely prayer you said there as well and tony if i just might add as well in our interview that I would like to thank uh, a number of people in particular uh, that I haven't mentioned and one is Father Pat McHugh who was the chaplain uh, to our school when I was in Dunlow School and Father Pat uh, made a great impact in my life and helped me along on my journey to priesthood and another man that I would like to mention is the former parish priest of Dunlow uh, Father Seamus Meehan who was always very kind and courteous to me and very helpful to me both as a student and as a young priest and that continues and Father Ian Cannon who is always very hospitable to me also uh, in Dunlow and, and, and at this time of year uh, thinking about my time in the Rosses Community School I would like to remember uh, deceased students that I was at school with and deceased staff, both at the Rosses Community School and my other primary schools, uh, the people who helped me greatly in life and people I journeyed with in life. And I remember the families also of deceased students at this time of year, and I will keep them in prayer. Yeah, Thank you.
1: well, that's a nice sentiment, Father.
0: Yeah, it is, uh, it is uh, people that I remember that I, I journeyed with in life and remember their families. And Christmas for some people is tough. Uh, and challenging that have lost loved ones and I, I will remember them in prayer and thank you tony no
1: problem we keep them all in our, our thoughts and may they rest in peace
0: also to, to we just just mentioned that
1: uh we're keeping our thoughts all those people that are living alone at a time like christmas
0: yeah you know yeah absolutely
1: and uh you know that's uh for people i suppose to keep an eye on on uh people n- near to them neighbors that might be on their own you know uh, yeah
0: yeah, we couldn't encourage that enough to to reach out to people, oh. particularly people who are alone. And we don't know what anyone is going through. All we see is an exterior sometimes. That's and we can true. see people coming across as being really brave and so on. Uh, but people can have a lot going on in their That's lives. And true. it's good to say a kind word there, And as Pope Francis reminds us, uh, a smile.
1: That's
0: right. Do you a, know, to vote for somebody else it and say benefit. hello. Yeah, yeah,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So, Father, a smile can go a long way to, to to helping somebody. But, Father, I would just like to take this opportunity, Father, to um, thank you for being a part of my uh, podcast, uh, just uh, days before Christmas, and uh, to congratulate you on uh, all the, the great work you've done as a priest so far, and to, to wish you uh, a very uh, happy Christmas and uh, a peaceful New Year.
0: I likewise, Tony, I would like to wish you and all your listeners. Uh, a very happy, blessed and graceful Christmas and a very happy and healthy uh, new year ahead. And thank you uh, for having me on your podcast and thanks for all the work that you do. And to, to, to many, uh, the any work that I do can only be done uh, because other people help me uh, in the doing of that work. So I want to thank everyone. Uh, who helps me and who prays for me and who shows such kindness to me.
1: Yes, that's definitely uh, important to mention too, Father. And I suppose it's a it's a combined effort, you know, when you study it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, but uh, again, Father, a big thank you for your time and uh, all the very best to you.
0: Thank you, Donny. Thank you, Father. God bless you.
1: God bless you, Father. Well, folks, that was episode number 59 of the Time Out podcast with me, Tony McGettigan, and uh, Father John Joe Duffy. Uh, it was great chatting to Father John Joe about uh, all his experiences so far and all the various parishes he's worked in. And uh, I hope that you uh, did enjoy that chat in a way, you certainly did. I would just like to round off the podcast by uh, wishing all my listeners a very uh, happy Christmas and uh, as Father. Uh John Joel mentioned there, I'd like to also wish you all a happy, healthy and prosperous uh, 2022. And a big thank you for wherever you listened in to me podcast in uh, 2021 or before that. It's it's much appreciated, but uh, certainly have a great time with family and friends over Christmas. And hopefully uh, the Time Out podcast will be back again in 2022. So uh, keep on the lookout, as I say, for future podcasts and for all previous podcasts I've done. You can go to the thetimeoutpodcast.ie and you'll see a full catalogue of what I've uh, recorded there in terms of uh, past interviews. So from me, Tony McGettigan, and Father John Joe Duffy,
0: it's goodbye. For more on the Time Out Podcast, visit ie. Thanks for listening.